it's not quite this week in XR, but we're doing a special panel today for our friends at Zapper. What, what I do hold on to is how even the very, very simplest experiences still brings a smile to everybody's face who sees it. And sometimes I think we also get really carried away with just the, you know, how amazing and ambitious and complex things can be. But the beautiful simplicity of people's natural reaction to seeing augmented reality, that hasn't faded or diminished at all. XR is really not about the hardware and the optics. It's about the neuroscience of the mind. And when I started to go there, I realized how immensely difficult this ultimately will be, but how immensely wonderful it would be. All of us who've been in uh, virtual reality and other types of uh, computer-mediated realities, not been in it for the money. We've been in it because we're chasing the magic, because we believe in the immense power of humans to surpass the problems and transcend conflict and, and using new ways of computing and communications to do that. And that's, that's where, you know, that's where these technologies fit. I'm very excited about where we're going, where we are with um, AI controlled characters, giving, giving artists the ability to create a personality in the way of the writer of a script does. You know, you create a whole character and to be able to, to create that character at a deeper level and to use all those things you've thought about all that kind of action outside the frame gets to be baked into the character and then you, you have this new way of, of living in a story rather than just telling it in a linear way. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to This Week in XR. Uh, this is Ted Shilowitz and Roni Abovitz. We are flying without our fearless leader, Charlie Fink, today because he's actually taking a well-deserved and well-overdue actual vacation. So he is um, going to be, I think, off the next couple weeks, and Roni and I will be taking the helm. So uh, we just want to sort of, Roni and I were talking beforehand, we just want to um, make a reach out and, and thank all of our listeners and growing listeners and the fact that you all share this with other friends in the industry. And we notice our our listener count going up week over week into the many, many thousands now, and uh, we appreciate it. And it's nice that uh, you're liking our take on things and how uh, usually the three of us, and then we, we you know bring in a guest. This week we won't have a guest because of uh, some travel coordination schedules between Charlie being out, me being in New Orleans all week at the epic, uh, what's called Unreal Fest, and also an executive summit just for our media and entertainment stuff. Um, I've been busy and will be traveling tomorrow, so... Uh, we can update you a little bit on that, but we've got a number of sort of news topics to uh, go through. Uh, next week, we'll have a, a guest on. Uh, this week, it's just me and Roni. So uh, we're just going to talk for, you know, 30, 40 minutes about all the topical news that's out there. First of all, Roni, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Doing good. Hey, hey, Ted. And Charlie, sorry we miss you today. Yeah, well, Charlie will be listening remotely when we when we post the uh, when we post the podcast. Uh, I also ran into uh, Lauren, who helps us on all the admin and coordination. She was here at uh, at the Epic Unreal Fest as well, so we got a chance to meet up in person and spend a little time together. So a little shout out to her for looking out for us week after week and making sure that all our people that are listening to this all around the world get uh, get the media, get the material, both the audio on every podcast platform and for those small smaller number that watch our our funny faces on uh, on YouTube on video here we are recording so uh that being said uh let's dive into kind of last week's 
sort of major announcements. I think the biggest thing that a lot of people are talking about is uh, the next generation of wearables that don't have a smart screen, that just like the glasses you're wearing, Roni, are normal glasses. They can be sunglasses. They can be regular glasses. They have outward-facing cameras, some sensors, and some audio, both input and output. So they're they're glasses that have um, speakers in them so that you know you can hear without wearing headphones in your ear, which is nice. Um, and the one that sort of made a lot of news last week uh, was what was announced at the Meta Conference, and we can talk about that as well because I was at the Meta Conference as well. So as you might have noticed, for those that listen to the podcast a lot, know I went through some health stuff and I was kind of locked in my house for a little while recovering from some heart stuff, but now I am back out in the world and, and on the circuit again. So last week was Menlo Park with Meta. This week is New Orleans with Unreal. Uh, which is fun to be back and seeing everybody. Um, but um, uh, maybe you want to comment on the second-gen glasses. Uh, I got a chance to use them in person, and I've been a user of the first-gen glasses, which I can tell you kind of fell off my radar pretty quickly. Uh, they they didn't really offer a lot of value, but these new ones uh, were very impressive. And by the way, and then I'll, I'll shut up and let you go into this a little bit, the, the woman who gave the presentation on stage about the new uh, Meta Ray-Ban smart glasses was really fantastic. She was a standout. I think I mentioned it last week on the podcast because I was just coming from the event. Um, she was so passionate, so um, well thought, and, and so excited about her product and, and the, the product team that she's working on that it was infectious. Uh, so it was nice to see. I'm sure the, the video is posted online of it if you want to watch it. Um, so what do you think about these things? And because there's a big topic that I haven't even touched about about why these things are so important that you might want to go into. Yeah, yeah. And Ted, like uh, maybe maybe quickly, just like um, you know, as you as you take like what all the pieces of what I think the the device that everyone will wear one day, the billions of people, and you sort of like defeature pieces of it and reassemble it in all these different form factors. Mm -hmm. It's kind of all these different modules, like uh, no screen, but an AI, and you wear it as a pin. Uh, no screen, but it looks like glasses, but has a microphone and speakers and and has a camera. So all, all these like weird configurations, like what was your take on, I guess, the Ray-Ban 2 meta and what was interesting about it? Like, what did you like about it? First of all, uh, as you might expect from a second gen product, just like you went through with, you know, early prototype Magic Leaps to the Magic Leap 1 to then the Magic Leap 2, uh, it's more nimble, it's better, it's lighter, the cameras are higher resolution, the audio quality is better, the speaker quality is better. So all the kind of first gen, uh, barely good enough to be a product sort of things um, are, uh, you know, largely starting to get figured out. The cameras are resolution enough, they're better, the 3D interpolation is better, the way it, the, the UI is better, like everything's just better. And it's considerably lighter and, and more comfortable. Like they're not, they don't squeeze on your head quite as much and everything got better. So the SOC system, they put more money and time into it. But the big thing that isn't actually part of the initial shipping of the, the Ray-Ban 2, let's call them, uh, smart glasses, um, is that they have uh, the ability through those front-facing cameras to contextualize read the world and use an AI system, uh, one of the many large language models, of course, Meta is one of those with Llama and Llama 2, um, to actually look at objects with the glasses you're wearing and say, hey, Meta, what is this object? Hey, Meta, um, can you tell me how to get from point A to point B? Hey, Meta, um, you know, is this something safe to eat? Which, of course, brings up all kinds of legal and ethical, ethical considerations. If you ask your glasses, should I eat this? And it gives you food poisoning, you know, what, who, who's responsible for that, right? Um, so there's all kinds of sort of thought process around this. But um, the idea of where these things go in their current form, 
um, is pretty interesting. And I'm curious your take on it, because I think you were very early in this as well, trying to figure out con contextual reading of what the world would be through your glasses, right? Yeah, like I, I always thought that um, spatial computing would have sensors that look at the world, look at you, um, the sound, but also like very high quality display so that it all would come together. It feels like what they're doing is, um, you know, testing a piece of what a future all day, every day AR wearable will be without the, without the optics yet. Right. Um, and, you know, for someone who's sort of like seeing the end game, uh, it's, it's like a little hard for me to want to wear something like that. But I'm wondering, people may want to take baby steps in. Are the baby steps worth it? Like here, the question I have is, um, are we turning people into the Neil Stevenson gargoyle? Uh, from yeah. Snow Crash. And what I mean by that, if if you haven't read the book, and please read the book. It's a great book. If you haven't Definitely read, read the book. It's. Uh, I can't it, believe you're listening to our podcast. You haven't and read not Snow reading Crash, the book. So. Yeah, it's a it's a very meaningful book for all of us. But yeah. I know why Meta wants people to wear these because you're a walking scanner, right? Uh, integrating like your focus and attention into their AI system and into their data. Yeah, it's uh, almost like Elon. Phone. It's almost Elon. Why does he really want you to drive Teslas? Sure, he's happy to make money selling Teslas, but he's already the richest guy on the planet. What he really wants is to map the world with those devices that are moving around planet Earth, right? And then, you know, push it out to his satellite data, push it out to all kinds of other things. And it's priced uh, at such a low price that I'm, uh, they're, I don't think they're even covering their cost of goods. Um, what, what you, what's really doing is they're subsidizing you as a data AI generator for them to make all this money off of you later. Right. Right. Yeah, and the question you... is like, what's the value? I know the value to, to, to meta and to other players um, who are not all about your privacy, but it's all about using what you stream back to them in all these different ways. Um, what's the value to the user? Like you've played with it. So as a user, knowing that a lot of your data is going to create revenue for them, what are you getting back? Right. So uh, before I answer that, obviously one of the most valuable tropes that we all use in the tech industry is if you can't exactly figure out what's going on with the product, how they're selling it so cheaply, why they're giving all these advanced capabilities away for free in the sense of Google, well, the answer is you are the product, right? You are the... the, the I think you the are the product field. here again. I think you are the product, right? It's like yeah. you are a walking biologic robot sending signals back to meta. But I keep wondering, like, What's what's your value back? Is it yeah. do you really feel like when you were wearing it, do you feel like I'm getting enough value back that I'm willing to trade my location, my attention, my awareness, all the things I like, everything I, I experience in my daily life, give it to them to do whatever they're gonna do with in exchange for something, right? Is that something worth it? Well, and I think, you know, if we if we look at the very broad space of of computing and that trade-off, right? That trade-off of Computers, for what they do, are extraordinarily inexpensive and powerful. The trade-off is all those data fields become you becoming the data input device, right? And if we talk about uh, Meta, Apple, Google, Apple, or uh, Amazon, and, and a couple of others um, battling for the, the the ownership of the next computer interface and what humans do with it, this is effectively part of that strategy, right? So for starting price of 300 bucks, you get these pretty fancy schmancy smart glasses that 
can track you in the real world. Now, their instant obviousness of value is outside of that kind of you, you're a human data portal is, you know, you get these really cool, stylish Ray-Bans that have audio built in. If you're a social media person and you want to capture things, you know, you can snap it with your glasses without taking your phone out. Um, it'll do automatic posting. The other big thing they talked about is it will live cast events. So, you know, everybody becomes this sort of massive media machine. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to see where that goes, which could lead us, unless you want to, you know, kind of keep drilling down into this, could lead us into the the next story that I want to talk about that made some news, uh, which is a small startup from some of the folks that designed and built the iPhone, um, a company called Humane. Uh, but if, if, if you want to sort of round yeah, out but, the idea of the Ray-Ban, we can go into the next step of the equation here. Yeah, per perfect bridge. Just to close that out, um, you know, Google Glass had the exact same premise of streaming and this AI data collection um, and, you know, Sergey jumping out of an airplane. And then Evan at Snap with Specs, it's the exact same premise. Cool. Right. And it's all the same story. So, I, you know, I, I think it's an interesting thing, like this lower end market where are you getting enough value of like wearing a camera without a screen and the mics, maybe with some AI, it'll be there. But what's interesting is like that form factor which is going to be communicating with AI. That's one of the value props. Like it's an Alexa type thing on your face and glasses. Mm -hmm. um, I think Humane is the exact same proposition, except I'm wearing it as a pin. Right. So, so let's back up a step. So this is a startup, a fairly young startup, but they've raised, I think, over $200 million. Um, and they are planning on releasing a product, I guess, this year. Um, November. In, in, in a month. We'll yeah. see, right? <laughs> Before the end of the year. And uh, so they've raised a significant amount of capital. They've been fairly stealthy about what they're doing and how they're doing it, which is kind of interesting. Um, but there's a certain very uh, personal appeal to this approach to me as someone, and you you know, Roni, that I, I've been sort of vocal about my, um, I guess disdain's not the right word, but my lack of interest in many social platforms, right? I find them an, an intrusion on my day. I find them sort of taking away some of the, the joy of my daily life and, and the humanity of connecting with others. And, and I, I like to pick and choose the platforms I want to use to reach out and connect with people. Uh, you know, and I like you're a medium user. We text between you, me and Charlie. Um, we certainly use old fashioned email and I, you know, we'll dabble in LinkedIn occasionally. Uh, but it's, it's not my favorite platform. It's too intrusive. And I know others are sort of making bones on me and I don't love that. Right. I love the idea of what these folks seem to be professing is it's time to get back to a, uh, a less um, sort of absorption of the compute system all the time and into something a little more humane, which is why they they talk about it that way. So I would likely be a good a good early test user for this if it if it functions and and does what it what it might do. But it's still pretty stealthy, although you seem to know a little bit about where that you think they're going, right? Yeah. First of all, I think there's there's some MIT projects 10, 15 years ago that were playing around with a similar idea and projecting out, but. From what I understand, it has location awareness, cameras and sensors, audio awareness. So it seems to be able to capture and track all the same things you might be worried about. Yeah. But they're just calling it, they're branding it in a in a kinder, gentler way. But kind it of is, rejiggering it. Yeah. Yeah, but it can't and, it can't function if it isn't capturing all those data streams right, exactly and feeding it to the AI in the same way. It's just in a pretty package. So I think there's a question of like. What are they really doing and, and how, how is it getting paid for? I think that's one. 
The other question is like the iPhone is such a powerful form factor. It works. It covers so many things. Are you willing to leave your iPhone behind right. and walk around with the humane pin? That's going to be the fundamental question because it isn't part of the Apple ecosystem. It's not like phone, watch, tablet, you know, like they've really got you locked in. Are you going to abandon that and have this thing on? And the Alexa was successful because it fit into the Amazon ecosystem. Sure. What I do wonder about here, are they just waving a flag like somebody bias, Google, Apple, somebody bias? Because if they're not, and I think that's why hardware is so hard, what is the ecosystem that ties into all these other pieces that allows it to flourish? Like this is the perfect moment. Like Nest got bought by Google, mm -hmm. right? Oculus got bought by Meta. Like these kind of companies ideally are taken out by someone just around now. Right. And um, that but, and that seems to be a, a, a fairly consistent theme with you. If you go back and listen to a lot of our podcasts historically, you are very much professing on a fairly regular basis that many startups, their only track to commercial success is to be absorbed by one by one of the big ones, by the Borg, as it were. And I've listened to a number of things. There's a, actually a, a great podcast I'd recommend. It's somewhat historic um, called Land of the Giants. Um, that is one of the Vox podcasts that um, talks about uh, the, the first season is all about Amazon. Second season, I think, or third is about Netflix, which is fascinating to me working in the entertainment business. Third, I know, is about Google. The last and most current season is all about Tesla. And there's kind of like a lot of this inside story, inside baseball stuff about how these things really happen. And, you know, when you think they're not so nefarious, they're pretty nefarious. And Amazon is one that kind of really punches all around and, and grabs things up and, and stifles a lot of innovation. And your only path out is to be absorbed, right? Well, uh, let's say let's say it works. Let's say Humane uh, One generates some interest. What really stops an Apple from making their version of that sure. fit into the ecosystem at with all the other Apple bells and whistles and integrations? And what stops Google and their ecosystem from doing that or Samsung or LG um, that's unfortunately what some of the pioneering hardware companies become. The example and test guinea pig for others to learn and see where people react. Go, all right, we like that. Team, go do it with immense scale funding, capital, supply chain, and you know marketing and branding that are billions of dollars. So I, I think it's exciting that someone's testing a new form factor. Yeah. Um, if you think on the on the product side, we'll see how people work with it. But if it works, I do wonder how do they survive. Uh, because this feels like something that, if it is good, Apple would absorb, you know, make their own. Right. Um, what what really stops Apple from like taking a sensor and their AI integration and their networks and their ecosystem going? This is just an add-on thing you put on your shirt and have the phone in your pocket, and you still get to use the phone when you need it. Yeah. If it um, if it gets traction, Apple will pay attention and they and they will eventually lock in and apply the the Apple polish and use the Apple silicon and all you know the trillions of dollars of of uh, market cap that they have to do that. I think one of the interesting things about this device, which is yet to be, I think, fully confirmed, although a lot of people are predicting it, is that in addition to the wearable and giving you audio cues, it will have some sort of little micro high intensity projector that you will hold your hand out in front of it and it will give you that micro contextual information, not super graphically rich or super graphically interesting, nothing like what a Magic Leap would do, um, a bit more like what the North glasses would do or even the original Google Glass with like but a- But on your hand. But on your hand. Does, if that works, and you know, maybe Apple would adopt it. And I think you know, when you talk about 
the overall tack of Apple as a company, and I know I've been somewhat public and talked about this, and I think you agree, Apple doesn't particularly, uh, Apple's strength is not innovation. Apple's strength is watching other companies sort of stumble around with product ideas and product categories, and then go, mm, I think we can do that too, and we can probably do it better, or at least more targeted to our ecosystem and our user understanding, which is what you see with the Vision Pro, right? Um, they are certainly not the first company to build a virtual reality or mixed reality headset by far. Uh, but many people are thinking, well, maybe this is the right chemistry because they have the kind of capital to, to, to push the needle, right? And this might be a perfect example of Humane gets a certain stage of the equation and then Apple goes, nice job, kids. Now the adults will take over and, and we'll see what we can do. Or or weirdly, uh, Charlie, maybe this is a it's maybe it's an enterprise thing, like a UPS truck driver. Uh, so they're hands free and they're like, oh, am I at the right address? And it goes, yes. You know, mm -hmm. like it could be like sort of functional, contextual things like that. But, I, you know, I don't know if it's the fashion models. Um, you know, they, they have the fashion model branding right now, but maybe it's the UPS driver, the nurse who's like looking at a drug regimen. Um, you know, I think people experiment with it. I think right. it's going to be cool and interesting. Um, I do wonder in the in the world of like the watch and the phone and the tablet and some kind of sleek wearable AR uh, and, and also the bigger, heavier VR, is this going to find a place? Um, or can you say, you know, what? I get everything they're trying to give me out of my watch. Mm -hmm. That's going to be interesting. Like, can the watch just simply give you all the contextual information? And even if it worked, a little projector you spray onto your hand off a watch. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Right, and you got you got caught into the Charlie Ted uh, reading my uh, my Zoom thing because oh, Charlie's. Uh, uh, well, you're Charlie. Not anyone here, we log in. Yeah, it's it's like anyone who is the the leader of the podcast is Charlie. It, it's classic. I love it. You uh, know, there's tail end Charlie and front end Charlie. Exactly. Uh, I'll, I'll channel my inner Charlie. Um, a couple other stories that are interesting. We always touch on AI in some way, shape, or form uh, week over week now because it is such a hot topic. The the thing that got a little bit of buzz uh, this week is a bit on the negative side of AI. You know, we often talk about what could possibly go wrong uh, this week, and I'm sure there are um, there are a lot of other um, groups that are are getting. I just need to turn that off so it doesn't keep pinging. Um, getting um, a lot of uh, sort of touch point around this in a negative way, but the story that came out was Mr. Beast, who is of course. The, the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest YouTuber on the planet, and Tom Hanks both got deep faked uh, this week. Uh, Mr. Beast got deep faked in people thinking that he was giving away $2 iPhones to anybody that would click on a link, which of course probably led you to some place you didn't want to go. And Tom Hanks apparently was like promoting dental insurance or something, which, you know, it, it, and both of these things, of course, they had to come out publicly and go, I have nothing to do with this. You know, I'm a victim of my my celebrity. I'm a victim of who I look like uh, in the world. And because they can do uh, a voice sim quite easily and a face sim quite easily and a lip um, translation quite easily now with technology, uh, this is a classic what could possibly go wrong scenario. And that's just two examples of likely many, many thousands of people that are, are being, um, you know, sort of used incorrectly. Well, Charlie, it's really great you brought that up because um, one, this is a. If you a, keep calling me Charlie, I'm going to start having a complex. <laughs> Charlie and Ted, you're just going to be both. Um, no, you're as leaders. Anyway, so Ted, the 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 interesting thing here is that my uh, a friend of mine is the CEO of a major company overseas uh, in Europe. I won't go into detail. Um, he and his team um, are going all out to solve this problem. Mm. 
this problem of deepfake and, and how do you know that someone's voice or video is authentic and real and grounded and certified? Um, I thought it was very fascinating. I won't go into any details. They had me, they had me look and give them some thoughts on it and why it was important. But if you just think about the use cases, like celebrities, politicians, anyone who wants to say that this video, this thing that I wrote or said is true and real and came from me uh, and is certified in the same way that maybe like a bank transfer right. uh, has this like validation certification. I feel like that's going to be critical in our in our digital future. Um, and, and let's say like trust. And then you'll have all this nonsense stuff that you'll know because it has no certificate and doesn't have like whatever is that set of things that makes it valid um, is not real. Yeah. Well, if you think about it through the lens of some of the biggest, highest valuation companies uh, in the tech world, they're cybersecurity companies, right? Palo Alto, Fortinet, these companies. Um, and it's that sort of battle of the good guys versus the bad guys. And they, um, you know, they, they basically function in a way that, uh, they're designed as the protector, but they're also an enabler, right? It's like you you give the reason to need all of this infrastructure, and big companies have to spend all this money on cybersecurity. To your point, you know, is this is this startup going to be um, something that, in and of itself, becomes an economic driver? Because um, clearly, they're probably not doing it as a nonprofit. They want to do it to to benefit something. So this is one of these societal sort of spirals, right? Where the good guys and the bad guys, although I guess historically we've always had humans, good guys and bad guys, you know, that um, I guess that's why we get good, good superhero yeah, movies. Yeah, Ted, the antivirus platforms, you wonder, do they secretly release, you know, digital viruses? Mm -hmm. You need more of their antiviruses. But look, I, we're, at, we're at a point where this is going to have some kind of really intense moments and the need for this sort of, you know, anti-counterfeiting, anti-forgery, whatever you want to call it. Right. Like, like currency has now complex weaving and inks and holographic film because people got so good at forging now it's like a ridiculous process to make like a dollar bill or, or a paper currency now the same thing uh, in digital and some of this has been solved like how to really validate a digital thing but not in media but i imagine like you know paramount that that you work with in viacom they're going to want to know that we put out a film yeah of course or something or a statement or you know president biden goes on and says something that you you're actually seeing the uninterrupted, uncorrupted thing he said, yeah. not hacked by anybody. Yeah. The problem um, with the internet is with, with all those good intentions, the bad stuff gets out faster than the good stuff can be validated. And yes. most people are pretty lazy and they'll just get a feed and, you know, a link from their friends or something on social media. And before it gets corrected, you know, in the old days, we're, we're, we're of a generation where uh, news operations, when they make a mistake, would do a retraction and they would put the, a serious amount of energy saying, we actually made an error. We need to correct it. We need to correct it publicly. These days, it's kind of like, uh, somebody's got to let you know. And if you don't track it, uh, it's a problem. Right? And so Ted, like that problem. was like 2015, yeah. you know, like basically there were like the, you know, there was an era where this, this sort of more genteel kind of journalism media was like less than 10 years ago, yeah. you know, where there was still that modicum and it, it, where it's weird to see how we have lost something that was with us for a long time and just a few years. 
Um, there's a couple of other interesting sort of stories of the week. Uh, you know the, the uh, design platform Canva, right, which competes with Adobe. It's Some people like it, sort of hipper, more indie version of Adobe's uh, type tool sets. And there's a number of companies doing this stuff. Um, you know, Google's getting into that game too and others. But uh, they are uh, diving into a... Um, a Gen AI uh, uh, sort of add-on, uh, I guess, plug-in architecture to Canva that includes animation use cases from uh, Runway, which is a startup that is using the you know open open AI um, open AI uh, architecture um, and uh, has proven really interesting results. So uh, that will compete with something called Adobe Firefly, which is out in the market now. So you're starting to see this kind of uh, you know, battle of corporate needs and, and, and cycles going into figuring out how these uh, these industries, well-defined industries of design and creation, um, you know, things like uh, Photoshop, Illustrator, and Canva, what they do, uh, are starting to adopt these things and build these, these, these AI agents into them. So I'm curious what you think about that stuff. No, it, it's, first of all, it's very clear that Canva and Adobe would have to adopt it because you got like true indies like Midjourney out there showing everyone up with really small teams and just making things very impressive. So it's like, how could you be in that world like an Adobe or Canva and suddenly be so far behind a mid journey? So I think this was almost a forced have to happen. And, and with OpenAI and other things happening, but what it's going to do is create this um, in between period where artists are using these AI tools in interesting ways uh, and we're going to see how people in these like smaller AI functions uh, live together. Right. But um, I think what's going to happen is now uh, those those artists are going to have to do a lot more uh, because they, you know you be able to create more faster. So probably uh, the workload on them is going to increase, but the complexity level may not have uh, uh, decreased. Yeah. And they're not perfect either. It's like not quite what you needed. So it made something, and now you might spend even more hours fiddling around in Photoshop or whatever, fixing the thing that was almost there. <laughs> almost right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's gonna be this, we're in this interesting in-between mushy period where it's like almost there, like voice AI was almost there for 20 years. And then Alexa almost got it there even better. And now it's like maybe almost, almost, almost there. But right. look, this is inevitable. And I think it leads to like much, much crazier things that happen near the end of the decade and into the 2030s. So... Um, I think we're going to yeah. see a lot more of this happening. This is going to be like an all-out battle between all these players. Yeah, I think because I've been at this uh, epic uh, games conference all week and I've been sort of immersed in that world. And one of the things that came out for me as kind of a takeaway of um, you know the ability to just build things faster and faster and faster with more efficiency and more plugins and more sort of pre-built modules and things that you can just ask and it will do and sort of no-code or low-code options around AI is I, I keep my, in my brain, I keep thinking about the the terminology rapid prototyping, right? And the idea that AI in the the one of the best use cases allows you to rapid prototype. You know, in our world, in the in the Hollywood business, we call that storyboarding or iteration or creationism of like before we go out and spend the money to really shoot it and lock ourselves in, we prototype a lot of things. We get a feel for you know, will that shot work? Do we like that? What that will look visually with very crude tools, but now those tools via, via game engines are more and more sophisticated, almost to the point where we can get to kind of final pixel level um, in in a real time environment, right? Uh, and that just keeps getting stronger stronger. So the idea of all of these companies understanding the value of rapid prototyping and all the foibles of it, all the ideas of like, well, are you spending more time just letting the machine try and do it? And then you got to go in and give it the creative direction you want. Um, it's an unknown, right? But but we're seeing both sides of the equation and lots more power 
unlocking well, really Ted, every month. I, I, I totally agree with you, but where I think this is going, and, and I'm actually working on this too, so I'll be able yes, to buy of course it. You have it. To. But, but I think what's growing is like this in-between period of tools and people making themselves feel okay. And then I would say really radical expansion of what those tools and systems can do to the point where like Ted, you and three friends sit around over a weekend and the end result is, you know, you not only have a great script and a great storyboard, but you have a feature film with an amazing soundtrack mm -hmm. that not too far away from now, maybe it's 2028, maybe it's 2033 is, is about as good as something like any of the major studios would have made. And yeah. then things are going to be like, okay, what just happened? Well, um, and I also think that like, you know, as YouTube started to flourish, you, you got kind of this sort of nugget culture, right? Where little nuggets of things started to resonate with different people in different ways. You realized how big an audience there could be for so many different kinds of content. Uh, and, you know, the studios are constantly playing catch up to that. The idea that there's a, a huge world of humanity out there that wants all kinds of different things from their media and entertainment experiences and their gaming interactive experiences, right? Uh, and like, for me, like some of these funky nuggets, like the AI creator that did the Wes Anderson stuff we talked about uh, uh, a week ago and did a, a pretend Lord of the Rings trailer and a pretend Star Wars trailer and people going, I would totally go see that, you know, and that's, that's kind of this strange next generation of what YouTube taught us about the human condition and how we like to absorb content. Uh, the next big wave is really coming. I know you're kind of working on that too on a, on a, very personal, intimate basis. You, know, you actually hit something really important, Ted, which is um, these AI systems are probably going to create just billions and trillions of chunky nuggets, like you said, with funky mm -hmm. nuggets, which is kind of maybe that's protective of the professionals that make films or build very detailed worlds because to go farther than the nugget, you have to have a conceptual thought and cohere it together. It's not just a string of three-second videos. It's not just a bunch of images randomly. You have to have this very clear... Uh, Spielberg level understanding of what you want. And that is something that not everyone has the patience for to put something together. So right. I think, I think the Twitch crowd, the Twitchy crowd, which is like, boom, 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 will make like little three second, one second things and spray them all over the place. And it'll have like this TikTok like audience, which is going to have its own market. Sure. But to build something like this is the next um, close encounters, or, you know, I just did something that feels as good as like, you know, the Avengers infinity war that requires coherent thought start to separate a lot of the creators from the ones who are willing to put in the time and patience because the AI systems will be really fast, but you and your creative team have got to have that thinking process. Right. That's that, that, and that separates, but it's going to be very interesting because someone who has that, like a kid in college, you know, 18 years old at like NYU film school could graduate and have made four or five amazing feature films instead of student films using these tools. And that's what's going to be very exciting. We'll find the next uh, Scorsese and Spielberg's a lot more quickly. Right. All right. I'm going to say we're going to come up on our self-imposed five-minute warning for all the listeners. <laughs> so uh, if you're listening to, to the podcast and uh, get ready for – in five minutes, we'll wrap up. So there's a couple oh, other – got to hit Epic. We got to hit Meta 3. But anyway, keep keep going. Okay. Yes. All right. So we'll hit we'll hit Epic and, and, and Meta 3. Uh, so we'll anyway, – so maybe we'll go seven minutes. Um, <laughs> a couple of smaller stories. And I think it's important to – while we talk about the big stuff, it's always important to bring up a couple of smaller nuggets. Uh, and in uh, Charlie's uh, column that you'll see that will come out – uh, in Forbes, like it does every week, he mentioned a couple of really cool things that I want to comment on. Um, there's a small little startup called Animate Anything, 
which is a very, you know, UGC consumer level product, a uh, simple web interface. You can grab some sort of primitives in an objects and, and push a few buttons and it will animate something for you. It's worth uh, probably giving it a try and just seeing if it has any value to you in your world. It's called Animate Anything. Um, doesn't need, you know, to build objects in Maya or Blender. It just will grab a human, grab a dog, grab a a whale, grab whatever it is, and you can create the animation for it and sort of, you know, procedurally animate. So there's a couple of YouTube videos you can go hunt down, just search for uh, animate anything uh, and you'll find it or animate anything 3D. Uh, and that's kind of clever and interesting. You know, we always keep an eye on UGC. And then lastly, uh, in the smaller but interesting nuggets, uh, if you live uh, in Los Angeles or visiting Los Angeles, there is a free, which is nice. Let's see, is it really free or not? Who's 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 gathering our data? Uh, Grand Avenue, which is sort of downtown Los Angeles. You can take a virtual AR tour of Grand Avenue, augmented by holding up your phone and um, looking at and you know art forms get created. It's a it's an interesting kind of modern art form. I think Roni, you guys like you and me are always looking for when does that get much more immersive as opposed to the little kind of magic window slice of holding your phone up to to a real object in the real world. But uh, it looks pretty interesting, and when I get back home, um, I look forward to kind of checking it out. Um, so so those are the uh, sort of smaller nuggets that are worth checking out. Uh, and then uh, let me just what what are your questions about uh, the uh, the Quest Three? Since I'm I guess one of the few people that have gotten my eyes on it and used it, and and your questions about Epic uh, because I was here this week. Well, I think for all of our our listeners uh, who are with you know waiting with bated breath. Um, you know, the, the Quest 3 is Mark's response to Apple Vision Pro. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think they have a price point designed to, like, you know, cut the legs out of Apple. And, you know, there's hazy information about what's the exact resolution. Now, you have to be one of the currently small number of people who have theoretically tried both. Yeah. Um, so no. when you think about weight, visual clarity, functionality, um, you know, as Meta closed the gap, are are they bringing you something for what four ninety nine that Apple's selling for over three thousand? That's really going to get people to scratch their heads, or is the Vision Pro so much better? Meta still has a lot of catch up to do. Right. So obviously, uh, uh, you and our listeners know I have to be just like your world, where you sometimes yeah. have to be a little careful about but what the Vision Pro is. You know, it's about. out there and just developers. Sure. So There's a lot a of secret. people that have seen it and talked about it, and yeah. and that's exciting. Um, in in terms of the the, the Quest Three, which because we, we you and I did a long go go back four or five episodes, you and I did a long discussion yes. about the Apple Vision Pro, and you can get an hour of just that uh, in the in the the heat of the, the moment there. Uh, but the Quest Three is kind of uh, in in some ways because of its moment in time right now, extremely relevant. You're talking about a device that's call it between five and seven hundred dollars. I actually think uh, as much as I think you're partially right that. The Quest 3 is a little bit uh, the answer to uh, Apple's device. I think it's truthfully more the answer to the mostly failed um, attempt at the Quest Pro. Um, that the Quest Pro had some right things in it, but it didn't have the right price point. It didn't have the right ergonomics. It had a lot of sort of challenges. Uh, and they learned where they really fit as a company is to be at that juncture of you know consumers and enthusiasts. Uh, and the Quest 3 is really good. It's interestingly slightly heavier than a Quest 2, but because of the pancake optics, you get the device closer to your head. So the pull-down effect is is far less. Um, the camera tracking is good. The mixed reality component is not like off the charts, like blow your mind. 
Um, but it's better than many other devices. And for that price point, it's extraordinarily good. Uh, and I think with software updates, it'll get better. Remember, we see early pre-release stuff for this, so it may not even be at final software. But I got a chance to do a number of different um, experiences in it. And we're obviously working on a development front with those guys on lots of different things. Um, I'm, I'm quite enthused by that device. I think a lot of people will use it for a lot of different things and a lot of different verticals. I think maybe the most important ones are the things that Charlie and I and, and you talk about a lot is not necessarily just the gaming stuff or, or the social stuff, but all the industrial use cases of a low cost device that has, and the fidelity is quite good. I mean, you're talking about um, a, uh, a an image quality with slightly over 2K per eye and what they call sort of angled pixels so that the screen door effect is highly minimized, minimalized and almost nothing. Like you can really watch video on this thing uh, and enjoy it, um, which I think is kind of a first, certainly for a, a device at that price point. We've seen much more exotic devices that can do it now with higher density displays. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the delta between, you know, a device that's many thousands of dollars versus hundreds of dollars and what really what really makes the difference for most most users. But Ted, when you when you switch between, let's say, a Vision Pro and that, when when everyone has the opportunity to do that, like let's say in twenty twenty four, uh, both are out there available. Yeah. Um, do you think there's going to be like one's a Mercedes, one's a Chevy, or is it going to be closer? Um, it's a, it's an interesting way to to process that information. I think. Um, one is a really, really good Toyota and one is a Ferrari. Um, I think that's the difference. I think, okay. you know, like the, 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 the car that's exceptionally good at doing, you know, everything at a fairly uh, low price point and is the car that many, many people have around the world versus an extremely exotic device. Um, but I think Apple always kind of figures a way to cut into that over time. Right. I mean, we've all uh, adopted, certainly, you know, in, in the West, mostly uh, a device that's relatively expensive for our mobile compute. Right. In our in our pocket. That's I mean, very a lot of people are very comfortable paying, spending between 15 and 1700 dollars on a new device, whether it's just built into their monthly plan or they pay it outright. So I think, you know, when Apple gets probably sub $2,500, which is maybe just a couple years away, that'll be the right uh, target price point for a lot of people to go, I really want that thing. Plus, it'll go through a lot of iteration and they'll get rid of some of the soft spots like a, a, a an external battery doesn't really make any sense and some of the form factor stuff doesn't make any sense. But, you know, they'll figure all that out. But, you know, a Toyota, a workhorse Toyota that gets a lot of things going at a price point for a lot of people may be something that Mark's happy with, right? Yeah, and, and really should be happy with. It's a, it's a good aspiration to be the thing that a lot of people can adopt and use and, and find great functionality with, which is, you know, it's the, the, the Quest is for sure one of my go-to devices for many things, you know? And will this will the Quest Three now be the go to? It'll display. I think so. Phone. Yeah, it'll it'll replace my Quest Two pretty quickly. Um, the tough the, question: Would you use the you know the HTC Vive Pros or um, you know any of the more exotic VR systems? Some of them cost. I, I use them all because I. Yeah, I use them all because I work in this industry and we're looking at, you know, theme park applications and you know different bespoke uses for them. So I'm sort of in that like odd little micro bunch of people that use everything because it's my job. Uh, but I think in terms of, you know, just what Zuckerberg and team have done to own the space um, for the most part is the, the quest is, is, has market traction and the rest of them have very minor market traction right now. And, you know, even the quest is still considered minor market traction when it comes to oh, actually the numbers they sell, but you know, in the this millions, probably going to hit. Yeah. This, 
I mean, I think the Quest 3 may hit, you know, tens of millions, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Which um, will not be bad for the whole sector, right? Yeah. Let's do two or three minutes on Epic. Epic. And I know people want to get, get on with their day and listen to other podcasts or whatever. Um, this week was really interesting. As, as many people know in tracking our industry, Epic did a fairly significant layoff. Uh, Tim Sweeney, um, we had some you know very interesting kind of closed door meetings and discussions with him about where we all go. Uh, but the public part was, you know, during the big keynote, he was up on stage um, talking from the heart and it was pretty genuine. He's a pretty genuine guy when he explained what was going on. And, you know, he talked about sort of dropped some little nuggets about his continued struggle with Apple and, and Android and their cuts in the in the ecosystems. Uh, but beyond that, the rest of the week was this incredibly positive energy of a number of thousands of developers all around the world working at all these different verticals, showing off amazing things, uh, driving things in real time, um, you know, announcements around the, the Fortnite engine and their next gen sort of work on on platforming and, and partnerships and um, it's great. And there's tons and tons of stuff on the Epic does really good with online documentation. So all the, the sessions are recorded and they're free to watch for anybody. And, you know, they'll publish them all and anything that you find interesting, um, you can get a lot of information, but it was a, it was a pretty good week. I mean, they, you know, they are a force to be reckoned with. Um, one of the things that, you know, sort of Tim talked about was, um, with the, the success pre-pandemic of, of, of Epic Games as a company that was making hundreds of millions of dollars of profit and very healthy with, I don't know, you know, sub a thousand employees and then just meteoric growth with Fortnite and the success of Fortnite went to like 6,000 plus employees and, you know, massive, massive uh, success and then turned into a multi-billion dollar company, took investment from Sony and Tencent and all these other things, and sort of learned a pretty interesting lesson about growing too fast and trying to keep up with meteoric growth and not being able to really manage it. And this is just their first attempt at trying to manage it a little bit. So I would watch, you know, the keynote and what's public and take it from the, the horse's mouth. Don't take it from me. Watch what he says and see if you think he's pretty genuine about what he's doing. I don't think he's hiding anything. I think he's um, very much saying what's going on in their world. No, Ted, that's the great assessment, and and I know Tim. He's a he is a genuine guy who's having to run a complex company and make very hard decisions as a CEO. I th I think the only thing I would add to that um, discussion for you know for our audience to think about are both Epic and Unity, who've been suffering turbulence, but so many people depend on them. You've got I would say two subscale very important companies. You know, subscale relative to Amazon and Google and Apple, sure. where as as the market bumps and things happen, these companies feel it way more intensely. They have no cushion in the sense that the very large companies have cushion. And are we going to see a point where, you know, can these companies at that midsize scale, which I think is the worst place to be, you either need to be big, big, like Apple or Amazon, or you should be really small. Yeah, yeah. And but Epic is a private between, company too, right? So it's interesting. Epic is private. And 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 pri private and medium size is like tough, it's really right? Tough. Because you don't have the cushion to absorb, but you're a target for the big guys. And I, you know, this kind of middle of the road, I think, is like a weird place to be. You know, yeah. it sounds strange to say a company might be worth 10, 20, 30 billion is middle of the road. But, you know, at some point they need to be part of somebody big or shrink back to where they're really tight and lean and boutique and you could survive all sorts of things. Right. But the, I always found the in-between size was the worst. Mm -hmm. The worst place to be because you're not big enough to have the scale and cushion 
and you're you're not small and lean where you could be very flexible and and you know withstand these things so right. and i think both unity we saw the turbulence with them and and this turbulence with epic they're both examples of that i wonder what's going to happen like maybe yeah. epic has to go public maybe they got to get rolled up who knows well they've, they've certainly been taking external investment and of course one of the things that if you watch these sessions and, and learn or know a lot about Epic's culture, they're very creator oriented. They want creators to make money on their platform and they do a lot to give back into that in terms of like effectively giving the software away to pretty much anybody that wants to use it. And then once you reach a certain threshold of monetary success, uh, they get a 5% cut of the action, right? Yes. Um, and that's been their model. It's quite a successful model, but Fortnite as their own product, selling skins and driving that has become a multi-billion dollar business for them um, when the rest of it is not a multi-billion dollar business, but really important to an entire ecosystem of creators that rely on it, including a lot of big movie studios that rely on it to use things. So, you know, we're, we're working to kind of figure out the best business model to make sure they survive. It's very interesting when you look at a company like Epic or Unity or other companies that are in that sort of zone. Uh, if we lose them, we all suffer, right? So, um, and, and the goal is to make sure that they can stay they can stay solvent and, and valuable. And that's well, they remind me of like, you know, like cool, great companies that, that people really love, like Lucasfilm or Marvel or Pixar, that at some point needed to become part of a Disney or something like that in order to have the sure. the next decades of life where, you know, it's ultimately hard and, and somewhat unstable to survive that long as a, as a smaller boutique thing. And yeah, it's interesting you that know, you bring that up because the, you know, that magic number is kind of like where Epic kind of might be right now in their actual valuation maybe not their like if they go public their valuation would explode but five six billion is probably the price tag just like pixar and lucas uh were in that five-ish billion dollar range is what Iger picked them up for and uh clearly those were seem seemed like pretty good decisions and they, they do i mean you're at you're at paramount but they do feel like a an epic inside uh, a disney or disney-like entity would start to make some sense because they would provide the technology and know-how to one of these sort of groups. Like I, you know, but I don't see them as part of, let's say an Amazon or something like the Probably. Epic's culture. I mean, Amazon creative. tried this with, with Lumberyard. If you go back yeah. in time, remember they bought an engine, turned it into Lumberyard, didn't really go anywhere. So, you know, it's interesting. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, yeah. look, it's a, it's a company people love and uh, it, you know, I think people really wanted to see it be around for a long time and, and uh, you know, good. Anyway, uh, great, great. You know, Charlie, we miss you, Ted. We miss you. Uh, yes. You want to bring us home? Sure. So uh, we went a little over our 45-minute uh, target time, but all good. Thank you for everybody around the world that's listening to us. We'll be back again next week. Uh, I think Charlie may still be on vacation, so that's good. But we're, you know, we're many hundreds of shows now, well over 150 shows. Uh, uh, and as long as you keep listening, we'll commit the time to keep doing this discussion. And you know, feel free to send us any notes or any comments. We'd like to hear uh, if you think we're heading in the right direction and these kind of in-depth discussions of the week's events and some things that are that matter or important to you all. So, thank you all uh, for uh, for watching and listening and. Uh, uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, everyone.